could thunk it, you and I Can't explain it, don't know why Counting all the years gone by Together Two old lovers in two old chairs Not too fond of flights of stairs Still we've handled all our cares Together Forever was the vow we made so long ago And now with more than just a little smile We say we told you so The early days were kind of tough Even when things felt too rough We knew that we were each enough Together Here we are still holding hands Young folks just don't understand This is what we always planned Together Forever was the vow we made so long ago And now with more than just a little smile We say we told you so Just a little more But no one knows what lies in store I know we can't go through that door Together So each night before I go to sleep I feel the love so long, so deep For we have promises to keep Together Forever was the vow we made so long ago And now with more than just a little smile we say Forever was the vow we made so long ago And now with more than just a little smile we say We told you so Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Tom Paxton and John McCutcheon, and together, the title track of their new album and their wonderful songwriting collaboration. Tom and John have been responsible for so many great songs over such a long period. It is my pleasure to speak with them on today's show. So let's hear my chat with Tom and John. Hey there. Hi. How are you? Pleasure to see you. We're waiting for John. I just left him six minutes ago, so he'll <laughs> he'll be right on. How you doing, Jason? I'm great. It's a pleasure to see you both. Nice to see you. Yeah, Tom and I just got done writing, so we're tired of one another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Firstly, I really want to speak to you both because the first thing I heard was the title track of your new album, Together, and it's one of the most beautiful songs I've heard in a long while. Oh, thank you. Where did the spark of that song come together? Do you remember? I don't exactly remember, though I remember coming upon that line, we can't go through this door together. And just think, yeah. oh, we've got something here. Yeah, we do. You know, I think both Tom and I are of an age, he's much, much more of an age, where we're looking at love songs that talk about that kind of long companionship and that, you know, when you're young and in love, that's where all the songs are, right? Yeah. So it's been kind of fun. Hell, we just wrote a song today about giving up the road. <laughs> <laughs> And we both made a yeah. promise never to play it for our agents. You know, one of those fairy tales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's not very often that either one of us come in with a fully fleshed out idea. Sort of like, here's, yeah. a, here's a thought and let's see where we go with it. And we share enough of the same kind of attitude toward writing that we end up finishing one another's sentences sometimes. Yes. You know, the poet Billy Collins had this great line that, you really hit your stride when your pen is no longer a dictation device, but a flashlight. And there's a lot There's a lot of these songs where we don't really know where we're going. So, well, what would happen if this happened, you know? So. I still remember the last line of one of his poems. It went down the dangerous halls of high school. Ooh, yes. Yeah, yeah. College never, never felt dangerous to me. Yeah, but high school, high school was like a, a minefield. <laughs> How long have you guys been songwriting? I know that this particular batch, some of it related to the pandemic, but were you writing much before? We wrote exactly one song before, and it was about twenty years ago. And it was in England. It was thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, we were in a car. It was in the during the Anita Hill hearings. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it was it was really the pandemic and Zoom technology. You know, I think it changed songwriting for a lot of people because in the past you had to be oh. in, the, in the same room. Yeah, you had to get together. You were in the Brill building or you were at on Music Row or whatever and we for two guys who are road warriors, we weren't often in the same town at the same night. Yeah. So this has been a blessing, and and I can see how some people wouldn't take to it, but it's been pretty easy for us. Yeah, it has been. Where did the spark of you two collaborating together in terms of the pandemic? Were you in contact quite a bit before that, or? No. You know, we always enjoyed one another company when we found ourselves at the same festival or someplace else. That would mainly be it. This is great. Yeah. With this technology... I actually feel like I'm in the same room with John. Yeah. There's nothing to be gained, really, by going to all the trouble to get together physically. There's nothing to be gained from that that we don't have with this technology. Well, also, um, we're really focusing on doing this during this time. We went out on the road, you know, for four or five days to help promote the album. And we didn't do any writing. No, the road. We were too busy getting to the gig and yeah, yeah, where we were yeah. going to eat and talking sports. <laughs> yep, the range of topics on the album 
is a sample of life and different themes. Invisible Man is a great case in point. That's shining the light on people that you may not notice. I think you almost get used to making value judgments about whether this person is willing, worth paying attention to. That makes your world really, really small. Well, you know, John can tell you that both of us were strongly influenced by an album called The Weavers at Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, 1956. I heard it in, say, March of 57. I was at the University of Oklahoma. And it had just a profound effect on me. I already loved folk music, but here was an album with the breadth of the focus of that album was all mankind. I mean, you had a lullaby, you had an Indonesian lullaby, you had uh, the Rock Island line, you had uh, Kisses Sweeter Than Wine. There wasn't anything you couldn't sing about. The whole experience of life was to be sung about, not just romance, although there was Kisses Sweeter Than Wine, which is a pretty damn good love song. And I think John felt the same. That's what we love about folk music. It's about the whole experience of living. Now, in 1957, while Tom was at the University of Oklahoma, I was in kindergarten. (laughs) I was about five or six years away from my introduction to folk music was my mom. I was 11 years old. My mom made me sit down and watch the March on Washington which was the first thing in American history that was broadcast live on every channel. And, you know, even at 11, the civil rights movement was on the news every night. But this was this gathering with speeches and homilies and and then music, everything from Mahalia Jackson and Marian Anderson to Peter, Paul and Mary and Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Odetta and Len Chandler. And it was, to me, this was connecting this music to something beyond self-promotion. You were connecting it to something that was happening in the world. It was, yeah, part- yeah. It, was, it was participatory. And that really resonated with me. And like, you know, I knew the Weavers were a little before my time. I eventually heard that album and went, <clears throat> yeah. This band doesn't even exist anymore, and this is groundbreaking. Uh, it was more I heard Pete by himself mainly, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's it's you go to a folk, you go to a bluegrass festival, and everything you're going to hear is bluegrass. You go to a folk festival, and you're going to hear bluegrass, and you're going to hear Tuvan throat singers, and you're going to hear Martin Carthy, and yeah. you're going to you're going to hear Tom Pax, and you're going to hear you know, the Georgia Sea Island singers, and it's yes. it's a celebration it is. of how rich and diverse we are. So consequently, also the first guitar book I ever had was the Woody Guthrie songbook. And Woody wrote about everything. I mean, he wrote love songs, he wrote historical songs, he wrote topical songs, he wrote kids songs, and it was like, it, it gave permission by his example to explore everything.
When you come to a stop on the street My eyes are the ones you won't meet With my sign I haven't eaten yet today I watch as your car pulls away I am the invisible man This was really not my plan Wherever you don't look, there I am I am the invisible man In your office I'm the guy The one who every morning says hi Every day you're not, it's always the same Ten years and you still don't know my name I am the invisible man This was really not my plan Wherever you don't look, there I am I am the invisible man I clean your streets, I sell your news I mow your lawns, I shine your shoes Each day I do the best I can Still I am the invisible man From end to end Searching for a home, a friend Longing for the sweet surprise When suddenly we are recognized I am the invisible man This was really not my plan Don't look, there I am I am the invisible man I am the invisible man John, you've done a, a great version of This Land Is Your Land as well a full album of Woody's material. Was that you connecting with some well, of the great songs that Woody did? Woody was, you know, that's, I learned to play the guitar from the Woody Guthrie song. I thought it was a guitar instruction book. I didn't know who Woody was when I was 14. <laughs> I mean, and it was interesting because I thought it was this guitar instruction book because the first page was all chord grits. I said, oh, look, uh, here's how you make the chords. And, oh, here's 50 songs to practice on. And I thought, Okay, well, I'm going to learn the first song because that's the easiest. 
and it's going to get a little more complicated. <laughs> and it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize, no, it was alphabetical. And it wasn't about <laughs> three quarters of the way through this collection and got to this land is your land that I thought, oh, he's the guy who did this song. Who knew? So when Woody turned uh, for Woody's 100th birthday, I just really felt like this is a debt I owe. But then it started kind of a trilogy because I did another album of all Joe Hill songs on the 100th anniversary of Joe Hill's death. And then I did a whole album of Pete's songs on his 100th birthday. So, And then, so in 15 or 14 years, I'm going to do an all Tom Paxson album. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom will still sing it with me. Yeah. What about Pete Seeger? I know that both of you knew him. Tom, it must have been quite an amazing moment when Pete was singing quite a few of your songs live and uh, Rambling Boy being very notable. It was staggering. And what I took it to mean was I was going to be able to keep doing this. That I had, it was like getting my ticket punched. You know, I must be doing something right if Pete is singing my songs. I'm just going to carry on. It was, I don't mean to make it sound casual. I, I was thunderstruck by what that meant. It meant I was on the right path. Also, Tom, what it meant, because Pete was singing it, he was teaching these songs to other people. Yeah. But, I mean, the first time I ever heard a Tom Paxton song was on that Carnegie Hall We Shall Overcome album. We Shall Overcome, yes. Yeah, what, what did you learn in school today? And, yeah. And Ramblin' Boy, I mean, Pete was like, hey, I'm not joining now. And that meant yeah. that not only was Pete singing it, ordinary people were singing yeah. the songs. And that's that's even more important than having a big hit on your own. At the 1966 Newport Festival backstage, there was a long, a long stair up to the stage. And I was going up the stair to the stage to do my set. And coming down the stairs was uh, the... Um, preeminent folk song collector, Alan Lomax, whose father was before him a collector of folk songs. He was the man. And we met on the stairs. He was coming down. I was going up. And he said, uh, you're on the right path. That's all he said to me. As we, as we, <laughs> I said, okay, I'm on the right path. This is the stairway to the stage. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it matters to us when we're young and we're our steps are more tentative than, than they are later. We're kind of easily shook by the wrong message. So to get the right message from authoritative sources, it, it means everything. There were so many great songwriters in the 60s. What was it about that period that brought so many to the fore? I don't know. What do you think, John? If you actually look at it in comparison, there weren't a great number of songwriters back no there weren't there weren't in the greenwich village era and that's what made tom's stuff so special it was plain spoken it was you know he he built on his fellow oki woody and had something to say but he could also be funny which didn't happen enough and still doesn't happen enough all right for me it was it was really woody who was the first songwriter i was i mean i grew up in northern wisconsin it's a long bus ride yeah. in greenwich village so, so I was on. So I was in sort of the the flyover <laughs> folk music country. 
And because I started with Woody and then eventually Pete, I, as I've told Tom before, I didn't even know groups like the Kingston Trio and the Limelighters and the Chad Mitchell Trio existed. I went down the traditional music route and was, yeah, I was writing songs. I was really writing terrible songs. Yeah, so was I. I still write <laughs> terrible songs, but I, I, know, I know when to put them in the bin. So I got really attracted to Appalachian stuff. And when I was 20, hitchhiked down to see the likes of Roscoe Holcomb and, and the Carter family and so on. And that's where I've lived ever since. And my first real songwriting hero that I spent any time with was Gene Ritchie. And I, I loved her stuff because it so- all sounded like traditional stuff. And what better? Yeah. I mean, as soon as someone thinks, oh, this has just been a song. That's been last thing on my mind. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It's a great song. It'll be sung long after the name Tom Paxson is gone and forgotten. And Gene's songs, I defy people to, to say to say this is a traditional one and this is a composed one for her. Because and I really loved that. Yeah. And so that was kind of my songwriting path, and it it, it was inevitable that Tom and I were going to run into one another. Sure. It's a small world. He was a man and a friend always He stuck with me in the hard old days He never cared if I had no dough We rambled round in the rain and snow And here's to you, my rambling boy May all your rambling bring you joy Here's to you, my rambling boy May all your rambling bring you joy In Tulsa town we chanced to stray we thought we'd try to work one day The boss said he had room for one Says my old pal, we'd rather bum And here's to you, my rambling boy May all your rambling bring you joy Late one night in a jungle camp The weather, it was cold and damp He got the chills and he got them bad They took the only friend I had And here's to you, my rambling boy May all your rambling bring you joy Here's 
song complete i've read that that's got a connection or inspired from johnny cash that's one of the very few songs that i've written where i'm tom paxton i i use the first person all the time but it's almost never myself but in this case it was uh the engineer who recorded a couple of albums i did in nashville told me that he he had engineered these last sessions of johnny cash and that johnny had recorded he said he recorded two or three of your songs. And so far, the only one I know is Can't Help a Wonder. Uh, that's the only one that's been released. The other stuff's in the vault, and who knows, eventually that they'll, they'll come out. I knew Johnny very peripherally. I only met him a couple times. I knew him. He used to come in the gaslight back in the uh, early 60s. Uh, in what we now know was uh, his worst period. Uh, he was uh, skinny as a rail because of all the pills he was doing. Uh, and he had not had his renaissance yet. But he was a gentle, a gentle man. He was a direct man and it took you as you were. I, you just liked this man. So I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. You know, it's... It's one thing to hear, you know, myself sing it or someone else sing it or Tiny Tim sing it, but to hear, and I can't help but wonder where I'm at. That's just a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thrill. Well, also, those were the, the late albums that Rick Rubin produced, and they were yeah. really fantastic, just direct. Here's a guy who's still at the height of his powers, but with that world-weary... Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Johnny was was special. Last thing on my mind came up, and there's been so many different interpretations of that, Tom, and I know that before that you mentioned about that you were blown away by Pete singing quite a number of your songs. What's your feeling in relation to the various versions? Well, the one I'm thrilled with now is uh, Dolly Parton singing it on the tribute album for Doc Watson. And that that performance has just got a, a Grammy nomination, which uh, I just think it's just too exciting. She's up against uh, Chris Stapleton and Jelly Roll. So, and I don't know who else, but it'll be very, very hard, even for Dolly Parton to win that one. 
but uh, it's a beautiful version of it. Her original hit version with uh, Porter Wagner was almost bluegrass. It was mm-hmm. it was quite up tempo. There's a, a YouTube clip of her backstage at Merlefest with Doc Watson singing it the way Doc sang it, which is more the way I sing it, you know, a, a more a slower version. Heartbreaking song. Oh, yeah, it is. I lie in my bed every morning without you. Oh, come on. Yeah, every song on my breast dies a morning. There's so many really, really good versions of that song. I think that Judy Collins was the first one to record it. She she recorded it. I didn't have a deal yet when I wrote it. I wrote it just in time for my first album with Electrum. And I don't know, there, there was a version that the, the Seekers did uh, with Judith Durham doing the just, yeah. God, what a voice. There are hundreds of clips on, on YouTube of people, amateurs, singing it because they love it. I like uh, now and then I, I'll go on YouTube and, and, and find a song of mine and see how many covers there are. And it's, it's, it's astonishing. But nothing, nothing to equal the last thing on my mind. That, that's the one everyone records. I, it embarrasses me to say I wrote it in 20 minutes. It just came flowing out. That's virtually, virtually a first, first uh, draft. God, oh, to be young. <laughs> oh, to be young and write them like that. <laughs> this material on the internet saying that it was your response to Bob Dylan. Is there any, anything in that? Oh, no. No, there's no truth to that at all. As a matter of fact, it started melodically. I had learned uh, a different way to play a G chord than the instructions book would tell you. Uh, and this way, you hold the G on the sixth string and the first string. You hold the G and move your first and second fingers to make it a C chord. And you can go from the C to the G and back and very easily. And I was, if you listen to what John just did, you can hear the first line of the melody. Not really. It's just that it, your ear will pluck it. The only song like that would be Ramblin' Boy. A month or so before I wrote it, I'd heard first uh, Dave Van Ronk and then Bob Dylan sing this traditional song, He Was a Friend of Mine. It's a, a beautiful song of friendship and of death that really moved me. And then I sat down one night at the gaslight with a little uh, shirt pocket notebook. And in between sets, I wrote three lyrics that night. And the first and the third were just awful. But the middle one was Ramblin' Boy. It was because I'd heard that song and I wanted to, it was my, almost my homage to that song. It's a lesson too late for the learning Made of sand, made of sand In the wink of an eye my soul is turning In your hand, in your hand 
Are you going away with no word of farewell? Will there be not a trace left behind? Well, I could have loved you better, didn't mean to be unkind. You know that was the last thing on my mind. You've got reasons aplenty for going. This I know. This I know. For the weeds have been steadily growing. Please don't go. Please don't go. Are you going away with no word of farewell? Will there be not a trace left behind? Well, I could have loved you better. Didn't mean to be unkind. You know that was the last thing. As I lie in my bed in the morning, without you, without you, each song in my breast dies a morning. Without you, without you, are you going away with no word of farewell? Will there be not a trace left behind? Well, I could have loved you better, didn't mean to be unkind. You know that was the last thing on my mind. That was the last thing. And on the new album, there's uh, Life Before You, another take on something that could could be a, a love song. But there's always a <laughs> there's always something different. There's always a twist. I still remember when we were writing that, <laughs> both of us, we got to that point and one or the other of us said, what if we did this? <laughs> what if this isn't what it appears to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, boy, I couldn't be happier with the way it came out. There's a, a wonderful singer in Nashville named Amy Spies. She's a friend of all of ours, and she, she's going to record it. And when she heard it, she got to that. We got to that point. She went, ah! <laughs> she, won't, she won't do that on the recording, though. I don't. No, no. On the, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But I hope the people who re- hear it go like that. Another thing that connects you is that you've both written children's songs that don't patronize children they've got fun in them it just fits that well and and john you know one of the key ones was how do you do yeah that's a woody guthrie song it threads you all to <laughs> it all goes back to okima <laughs> yeah well you know i did that album in 1983 and i was a new father crazy about my firstborn son still am but i wanted to do a f- first birthday present 
for him. So I decided I was going to do a kid's album. And I'd never done a kid's album before. And not very many people had. Pete had done one or two. Woody had done a bunch. But there wasn't really a children's music market at that point in the United States. I mean, all the great Canadians, Rafi, Sharon Lewis and Brown and, and all those people, they hadn't invaded the U.S. yet. So I listened to what was out there, and a lot of it was really unmusical and kind of condescending with a lot of emulators and funny voices and stuff like this. And I thought, well, this isn't what – I went to Rounder, and they said, oh, good, a kid's album. It'll be half the budget. And I said, no, it's going to be twice the budget because we're going to have rock and roll. We're going to have Cajun music. We're going to have some bluegrass on here. We're going to have real musicians. And we got to give our kids the best and, of course, there have been a lot of great family musicians. And part of it was, how much disposable income does the average five-year-old have? It's the parents who are buying these recordings. And I remember saying that I wanted this to settle the argument in the car about what the family was going to listen to on the way to yeah. summer vacation. So that it would be something that the parents would like and the kids would like, and it wouldn't drive everybody crazy. So, and I think Tom has the same attitude. Yeah. I love kids. I love talking to kids and never talk down. Never. I mean, they, they have important things to say and they can turn into songs. Say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How'd you do? You say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How gee ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? Gee do gee die gee how'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? On my sidewalk on my street to every person that you meet you say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How'd you do? Say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How gee ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? Gee do gee die gee how'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Gee do doodle how'd you do? And you feel good, we brighten up our neighborhood with our ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How'd you do? With our ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How gee ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? Gee do gee die gee how'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? You stick out your little hand to every woman, kid, and man. You say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How'd you do? You say ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? How gee ho gee hee gee hi gee how'd you do? Gee do gee die gee how'd you do? Gee do gee doodle how'd you do? Doodle doodle doo how'd you do? Gee do gee doo gee doodle how'd you do? How'd you do? 
Marvelous Toy is a, a fabulous example of that. Do you remember the, the origins of that, Tom? Uh, yes. I was still in the U.S. Army. I was in the clerk type of school, which was an eight-week school uh, in the blazing summer in New Jersey. And there was a typing class, which was mandatory, two hours a day, four days a week in this sizzling barracks converted into a classroom, no AC of any kind. And I, like about five or six of my colleagues in there, could already type. And we were forced to do it again. I mean, learning to type is pretty boring stuff. Doing it again will kill you. <laughs> so I stopped doing the exercises and, and used the typewriter to write letters home to everyone I ever knew and ma made up silly poems. And one day, I wrote the lyric to The Marvelous Toy. Why? I have no idea, unless about 30 years later, I got to, I wonder if I was in my unconscious, was reacting to the sound of all the typewriters around me. That's the best I've come up with. It came straight out, four verses in chorus. And... The original noi uh, noises were different than the ones you hear, although he doesn't even remember the conversation. Uh, my friend Noel Stuckey from Peter, Paul and Mary was uh, a new friend of mine at that time. Uh, I was coming in from Fort Dix to the Greenwich Village every weekend, and I sang it for him, and he loved the song. And, of course, eventually Peter, Paul and Mary recorded it. Uh, he said, I just don't think the sound, I think the sounds could be better. Why don't you? And so um, I changed the sounds in 10 minutes and the rest, as I say. But then where it came from, I have no idea. You know, uh, write a song like that in the middle of, a, of an army base. And it's important to know that I wasn't really anti-military. I really have always kind of respected I was doing well in the Army. I was there for live for six months and then uh, reserves. I think I'm still in the reserves, but it's a mystery, a nice mystery. Where'd that song come from? I don't know, but I'm glad it, I'm glad it chose me. When I was just a wee little lad full of health and joy my father homeward came one night and gave to me a toy A wonder to behold it was with many colors bright The moment I laid eyes on it, it became my heart's delight It went zip when it moved and bop when it stopped and whirr when it stood still I never knew just what it was and I guess I never will The first time that I picked it up I had a big surprise For right on its bottom were two big buttons That looked like big green eyes I first pushed one and then the other Then I twisted its lid And when I set it down again This is what it did It went zip when it moved and bop when it stopped And whirr when it stood still I never knew just what it was And I guess I never will it first marched left and then marched right, then marched under a chair. 
And when I looked where it had gone, it wasn't even there. I started to cry and my daddy laughed for he knew that I would find. When I turned around my marvelous toy, chugging from behind. It went zip when it moved and bop when it stopped, when it stood still. I never knew just what it was and I guess I never will. Well, the years have gone by too quickly, it seems. I have my own little boy. And yesterday I gave to him my marvelous little toy. His eyes nearly popped right out of his head. He gave a squeal of glee. Neither one of us knows just what it is, but he loves it just like me. It still goes zip when it moves and pop when it stops. Whirr when it stands still. I never knew just what it was, and I guess I never will. Almost every writer you talk to will have some kind of story. Yeah. You know, Christmas in the Trenches was almost a first draft. See, I've had this theory that God went around for centuries whispering into people's ears. Dun, 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 Yeah. Until a deaf man heard him. Yeah. So there are things, you know, neither Tom or I are woo-woo kind of guys. You know, we don't think that there's a muse out there that sprinkles fairy dust on us. It's a lot of, like the song says, you got to do the work. Were you reading much about the First World War during that period, or is it just something that... not at all. I was doing my second album for Rounder, and they wanted a Christmas album. And I'm sure that that what they expected was Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Good King Wenceslaus on Hammer Dulcimer. And I was two weeks away from recording it, from going into the studio, and I just felt that there was something that was missing. I was playing in Birmingham, Alabama at the university concert hall. And I was in my dressing room and this old black woman who was a a custodian just kind of burst into the room because she didn't know anybody was there to clean the room. And we were both surprised to see one another and got to talking. And as you do, if you like people and are not afraid of strangers, we started talking and eventually started telling jokes. And it came time where someone stuck their head and said, two minutes. And I said, okay, we got time for one more. It's your turn. Give me your, give me your best one. And she told me the story. She said, this isn't a joke, but it's my favorite story. And she told me the story of the World War I truce. And I'd, I'd heard the story before, and it was like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. You know, it was like, this was presented to me, and I wrote it during the intermission. Sang it wow. during the second set that night, just because... It was like, oh, this is what this album needs. Something yeah. to really tie the whole spirit of the season together in a kind of apocryphal but powerful way. When you came over to Europe, you met some of the soldiers involved in that, didn't you? Yeah, I was you? playing at the Turner Festival back in 88, and there were these four old guys who just kept showing up at all my sets. And because... They were far afield. They had to walk everywhere. They would come in late, and I would see this little bevy of old guys tottering around. And they must have been, they would have had to have been in their 80s to be old enough. They were teenagers when they fought. I met them, and I was gobsmacked, to use a popular English term. 
I had never thought that I would ever meet anyone. And, you know, when you, if you write a song as, as both Tom and I have done, that is based on his, an historical event, and then you meet someone, or you write a song about a fisherman, and then some fisherman comes up to you and says, man, that's my life. Thank you. I don't think you can ever be grateful or as whatever you need to be at the time. There's a million things I would like to have asked and said to those men that night. Yeah. But it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's a, I did, obviously didn't make this story up. And it's interesting that in England, I understand, it's taught in history classes. Uh, and in Germany, even though they started the evening with the singing, and it was a German soldier who came out into no man's land and initiated the meeting there, they worked real hard to keep it quiet. The whole story is breaking down the anonymity that makes war possible. And that's a dangerous thing, especially in World War One, where it was a war that didn't need to be fought. And since then, I've read a lot of history, especially around this event. In fact, somebody found in a drawer, he was a furniture refinisher. He showed up at one of my shows in Ohio. He says, I have something for you. I found this lining a drawer of a chest of drawers I was asked to refinish. And it is the January 1st, 1915 front page of the London Daily Mail. Wow. Which was the first newspaper reporting of this event. And it was on the front page. You know, you trying to make it, it's obviously historical fiction when you're writing a song. But you try to be as true to what it's supposed to be as yeah. you possibly can. And also not a museum piece. Yeah. To make it something that still has meaning for us today. Three years after I wrote uh, The Bravest about 9-11, I did a a show in Pennsylvania, the same theater, John, where we recently did our, I think, in. Oh, yeah. And uh, I I sang the song that night. And then afterwards, I was making my way up to the lobby to sign CDs. Uh, A fellow interrupted me and shook my hand. He said, I was in the North Tower and you got it right. This kind of leaves you gasping for something to say. So this is something that I teach uh, the students, my students. I I tell them, find something in the paper that moves you to any emotion at all. It can be hilarity. Usually it'll be something more like sorrow or anger. But find a story and then put yourself in that story, either as an eyewitness or as one of the principals in the story. Woody did that. Woody was not in Ludlow, Colorado, when the National Guard fire, fired on the miners. But he writes it in the first person as if he were. And this is art. This is permitted. Right. We can place ourselves anywhere we want. The thing that Woody did that is really instructive is he was very cinematic. Yeah. Again, he wasn't in Calumet, Michigan for the, you know, the 1913 right. massacre. He wrote that after reading a book by a woman who was there. And yet he'll still say, I'll take you through a door and up a high stair. And immediately everyone who hears that line sees the stair, sees the door, yeah. look around, see, see what the movie is. Is show sure. it's a great way to write. 
to actually occupy the space that you're writing about. My name is Francis Tolliver. I come from Liverpool. Two years ago, the war was waiting for me after school. To Belgium and to Flanders, to Germany to here. I fought for king and country I loved dear. Twas Christmas in the trenches where the frost so bitter hung. The frozen fields of France were still no Christmas song was sung. Our families back in England were toasting us that day. They're brave and glorious lads so far away. I was lying with my messmate on the cold and rocky ground. When across the lines of battle came a most peculiar sound. Says I, now listen up, me boys, each soldier strained to hear As one young German voice sang out so clear He's singing bloody well, you know, my partner says to me Soon one by one each German voice joined in in harmony The cannons rested silent, and the gas clouds rolled no more as Christmas brought us respite from the war. As soon as they were finished and reverend pause was spent, God rest ye merry gentlemen, Struck up some lads from Kent All the next they sang was steely knocked Tis silent night, says I And into tongues one song filled up that sky There's someone coming towards us The frontline sentry cried All sights were fixed on one lone figure Trudging from their side his truce flag like a Christmas star shone on that flame so bright as he bravely strode unarmed into the night. Then one by one on either side walked into no man's land. With neither gun nor bayonet we met there hand to hand. We shared some secret brandy wished each other well and in a flare-lit soccer game we gave him hell we traded chocolates cigarettes and photographs from home these sons and fathers far away from families of their own young sanders played his squeeze box and they had a violin this curious and unlikely band of stole upon us and France was France once more with sad farewells we each began to settle back to war but the question haunted every heart the 
that lived that wondrous night Whose family have I fixed within my sights Tis Christmas in the trenches Where the frost so bitter hung Frozen fields of France were warmed as songs of peace were sung For the walls they'd kept between us to exact the work of war Had been crumbled and were gone forevermore Francis Tolliver In Liverpool I dwell Each Christmas comes since World War I I've learned its lessons well But the ones who call the shots Won't be among the dead and lame And on each end of the rifle We're the same Tom, whose garden was this? Was that an example of you reading something and then building on that? No, that was um, that was writing to order. Oh, the first Earth Day in 1970, April 21st, was it? I think it was the, the solstice. I was asked to write something for that occasion, and I, I wrote it for uh, a teach-in at. Uh, Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, sometime shortly before Earth Day. And this was going to be the first teach-in on the occasion on that. And then I sang it Earth Day itself. I was in Union Square in New York. And I realized I'd been asked to sing in Evanston. And I thought to myself, I don't have a single song. For this occasion, so I better get busy and write one. So that's what I wrote. I thought I would do it once or twice, and I'm still doing it. Was it Dame Vera Lynn, the British singer who was associated with the Second World War? Oh, no. She was involved in, in the development of that song. I mean, I had already recorded the song with three verses, and I had signed a five-year contract to write for United Artists. Uh, and I was uh, going into their office in London every day and, and writing with a fellow named Ed Welch. The office manager was a man named Roger Welch, who was Vera's brother. And he said, Vera has heard that song uh, and, and she wants, she's going to be doing a show in, in Holland and she'd love to sing it, but she feels it's a little too short. Would you mind writing another verse for it? So, are you kidding? So I wrote what I call Vera's verse, and that's the last one about whose forest was this. That was not that was not in my original recording. Dame Vera, what if <laughs> she was a great old gal, man? Yeah, she lived to a ripe old age. Oh yes, she sure did. The Fawcy sweetheart. And there she was in the jungle out there in Burma. Singing, you know, standing on a jeep, singing for the troops. What a trooper. 
I mean, I respect that. John, uh, just to reflect on the, the album that you've done with Tom and, and again, listening to the material, it's just a brilliant combination that, that you guys have together. And I assume you've built up a wealth of amazing songs. Is the plan to continue the partnership? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Well, as I said earlier, we were just writing today before and and came up with something that we both thought, hey, that's, that's a keeper. That's yep. a keeper. We'll do that one. We've got a big, big backlog of songs, which is a great problem to have. Uh, yeah, we do plan on doing another album, probably recording it this summer. Uh, I've got another one that of my own that I'm doing in the spring. And, uh, you know, we're both writing with a lot of people right now. Once once we kind of road tested this technology, the two of us, we've each been writing with lots of different people. This may be the most satisfying because I'm, I'm not as old a friend with all the, it's a, a lot of younger people. And it's great. It's great. But, you know, you don't make old friends. <laughs> you don't, do you? We're going to do another, definitely another album. Yep. We could do it now. I think we have enough. Oh, yeah material to do it now but i i like the idea of piling on <laughs> i want a heap of songs to go through let's do this one and this one and this one and this one and i've got an album that's being put together i'm not doing anything what it's uh kathy fink is co-producing an album called bluegrass does paxton wow and it's all all bluegrass singers doing my songs in bluegrass style. And I've heard some of the tracks and they just knock me out. I'm thrilled. That'll be coming out next spring. And uh, somewhere in there, I'm going to do another solo album. I don't know. I've been thinking of getting John to produce it. I might do that. And, you know, it's a funny time now because CD sales are, are have kind of fallen off a cliff and the sort of ascendant distribution system of music is streaming which is you know you heard it here first is just larceny mm. as far as musicians go um so we spend all this time and a surprising amount of money yeah doing these and luckily we're at a stage when we can just say well this is what we do this is you know we want when people look back on this stuff to say wow they really took a great deal of care in every single piece of this thing, with the writing, with the performance, with the production, with the artwork, everything. We just got used to doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> and love it. Yeah. I love writing with Tom, recording, hearing what we have together. It's, it's just been a joy. We've done, what, four or five concerts, uh, the two of us. Uh, and we both do a, a, a different style for these concerts. We we both sit down kind of at an angle to one another. So we're also to the audience and we talk and perform. It's really a, an evening's conversation with songs. And that's great. People love it. Yeah. And it's great fun for us to sort of go out there without a net and say, okay, what are we going to talk about tonight? We're both old dogs enough to know, okay, well, I can see, yeah. I can see where this conversation is going, and now is the time to sing a song. So it's really fun. It is. It's been amazing to talk to you both. The songs on the album are really special, as are the songs that you've both recorded across 
your songwriting journeys and it's it's been amazing to speak with you and I, I wish you continued success with your partnership and other endeavors so thank you so much thank you thanks jason it's been a pleasure to talk to you as well yeah all right take care then okay all right bye whose garden was this it must have been lovely did it have flowers i've seen pictures of flowers and I'd love to have smelled one Whose river was this? You say it ran freely Blue was its color I've seen blue in some pictures And I'd love to have been there Ah, tell me again, I need to know the forests had trees, the meadows were green, the oceans were blue, and birds really flew. Can you swear that was true? Whose gray sky was this? Or was it a blue? Nights there were breezes I've heard records of breezes And you tell me you felt one Ah, tell me again, I need to know The forest had trees, the meadows were green The oceans were blue And birds really flew Can you swear that was true? flowers I've seen pictures of flowers and I'd love to have smelled one Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online It's ten years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.